Good morning, it's Friday the 24th of November and this is Govind Raj Ethiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's presently smogged financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day. Foreign portfolio investment levels in India hit a decade low. How prices of tur dal or pulses at home could depend on the outcome of a sinister battle with an African nation. Deep fake regulation is on the way. What will it involve? Real estate investors in IT hubs in Hyderabad or Bangalore made a killing in the last 3 years. And a record 518 million viewers watched World Cup cricket over 48 matches. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. Oil and markets. Oil prices slipped further on Thursday thanks to the postponement of an organization of petroleum exporting countries plus meeting which led to speculation that the group might not deepen output cuts next year. Brent crude futures were down to about $81 a barrel on Thursday after falling as much as 4% on Wednesday. The oil market as we've been discussing here is a little uncertain and wrestling between the forces of demand which are weak and potential further supply cuts which are yet to happen. And the rupee too is struggling in some ways ending at 83 rupees 34 paise roughly the same as the day before. I say struggle because the dollar is weakening now and other asian currencies including the chinese yuan are slightly stronger. Earlier a strong dollar was pushing down almost all asian currencies and some more than the other. Back home most of the action was in the primary or IPO or initial public offer market with the star of the show Tata Technologies continuing to rake in funds though it's been like many other companies oversubscribed already. This week has about 7000 crores worth of IPOs lined up and all of them are closing today. Either because all surplus funds have presently flowed into the IPO market which is about 30000 crore plus estimated or external factors continue to weigh Indian markets were largely listless the BSE Sensex touched about 66018 down 5 points only and the Nifty 50 managed to stay above the 19800 levels and it closed about 10 points lower. Meanwhile Foreign portfolio investors have been selling steadily since September and on to November but there were some mild reversals in November that's mostly the second half one reason for this is a major selling wave in stocks of finance companies and switching by them to industrials and other sectors but the buying in the rest of the market is not making up for the selling in financials so the net result and that brings us to the important figure is that foreign portfolio investors are now holding at about 16.6% which is the lowest level in a decade icici securities has put out a note arguing that this decadal low fpi equity holding figure of 16.6% is ironic given that indian fundamentals are approaching their historical best including favorable cycles in terms of corporate profits investment rate and tax buoyancy Of course supply is supply and FPIs or foreign portfolio investors have been selling across Asia as interest rates went up in the United States and it became more attractive to pull money back from here. So this does tell us that India is or was not able to beat the trend in the region and the switching out of financials must have made the holding levels more difficult to hold quite literally. So the aggregate holdings of FPIs stands at about 54.5 trillion rupees as of November 23rd which is the lowest since 2012 said ICICI Securities 
To understand why foreign investments were at such lows and also to what extent it even mattered today, I reached out to ICICI Securities equity strategist Vinod Karki and I began by asking him why this was happening now. If you look at, you know, the post-21, the whole uh, uh, jumbo rate hikes by the US Fed resulted in record outflows from India and other emerging markets. It kind of stopped somewhere post-March this year and we started seeing some inflows. But recent data and the narrative again started changing when the US bond or bond yield almost touched 5% and was threatening to go up. So I think that has again resulted in huge outflows. And this coupled with two other aspects, which is the portfolio orientation of the FPIs, which is, if you see their portfolio orientation, they are heavyweights in the high quality financials, which have been underperforming, if you see. And the outperforming sectors are the small cap, micro caps, where they have a lesser holding and also industrials as a sector where they have underweight, but it is outperforming. So a mix of significant selling due to this yield scale and their portfolio orientation has resulted in their holding significantly dipping, reaching a decadal low. And as I pointed out, fundamentals are looking very good. So that looks like a very peculiar picture overall. So you're saying that the recalibration that's happening, which is essentially selling off more financial stocks and maybe buying more industrials, is not enough to compensate for the selling that's happening or the buying is not enough to compensate for the selling that's happening at this point? That can only be incremental though. The large positions that they have in high quality financials and consumer discretionary IT and all. I mean, you can at the margin keep buying small cap, mid cap and industrials and other cyclical companies, but it doesn't move the needle much unless these uh, financials make a move, uh, which I think should make a move at some point in time. Uh, because the NPA cycle is at the bottom, credit cycle is just picking up. That should help them. I guess the more fundamental question is, to what extent do foreign portfolio investors or investments market in terms of direction and sentiment? And they have clearly done that in the past, but how does that stack up right now? Yeah, so one of the very interesting things that has happened over the last several years is that the sensitivity of PI buying selling is towards Indian market. Obviously, there is sensitivity, but it has reduced significantly. Selling of this order and the order we saw last year would have really, really seen significant drawdown in stock prices, which you haven't seen so far. I mean, max, it's gone, not gone beyond 10% kind of a correction. Uh, so I think correlation is there. Every time the FBI sell, you will see drawdown. But the sensitivity of this drawdown has significantly reduced given that we are adding more than $2 billion in SIPs on a structural basis now. That's helping it. Right. And what's the outlook like for the next, uh, or at least towards the end of the year, which is usually also when traditionally selling happens as they, I mean, they sort of consolidate their portfolios and maybe beginning of 2024, you know? So I think this direction that uh, the FPA selling has taken, that it's dipping, my understanding is that these things don't turn around uh, dramatically, you know. So I think there is this un- election little uncertainty going on. So you might see this trend for some time more, but what is structurally changing is that the Fed is done with the jumbo rate hikes. In fact, I don't buy this argument that rates will be cut in a hurry, but uh, it, rates will be higher for longer, but that doesn't mean rates will go up. 
So I think the yield scare is going to completely go away, I think, going ahead because the way inflation is falling across the world. At the same time, the best case scenario is that the top economies in the world, where they initially we thought there would be recession in the developed markets, even the most vulnerable eurozone is avoiding a recession as per the latest numbers. While the top three economies, if you see US, Japan, China, and India, fourth one, they have shown higher than estimated GDP print, the latest prints that came in. So I think it's a nice situation to be in where we are not going into a recession, whereas inflation is started to taper down. Right, right. Vinod, uh, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Kovind. India's best property markets to make a killing. If you want to make money in property, go buy in an IT hub somewhere, preferably in Hyderabad or Bangalore, followed by Pune. Though, to be fair, that was the case for the last three years. I'm not very sure whether this will be the same for the next three. As it happened, I passed through Gachibauli earlier in the week for a conference I was attending at the International Convention Centre in Hyderabad and was struck by the staggering change in the area, having visited the area first at the Indian School of Business. That was around 2002 when the business school was pretty much all that there was to this place. At 33% growth, Gachibauli is now showing or registering the highest average jump in micro markets or areas in India amongst the top seven cities between 2020 and 23 so far. The figures are all from Anarok Research, the real estate consulting firm. So basically, if you had bought property in Gachibauli in 2020, you would have been richer by about 33%. That is if you could sell that easily. If you had bought in Kundapur, which by the way is only 15 minutes and about 6 kilometers away, prices would have appreciated by 31%. Further south of the country that is, Whitefield and Bangalore would have got you about a 29% rise and Sarjapur would have got you a 27% rise. That's of course assuming that you didn't spend about 2 hours already in traffic getting there. Pune came in next with Vagoli in Pune at about 25%. Basically, to reiterate, all of these are IT hubs or information technology hubs, a reflection of where the growth, prosperity and of course need for housing and even commercial space has come from in recent years. Lower Perel in Mumbai, where we broadcast from, saw a 21% appreciation, which actually, if you ask me, is quite crazy. Intrigue and trade wars and pulses. Last month, inflation rates for pulses, which includes dals like Tour, was rolling at about 19%, while overall inflation was around 4.8%, and food inflation was about 6.6%. Now, let's look at the overall numbers for pulses. India could consume, when I say could, it means on how much is produced locally, about 4.4 million tons of pulses in all, which includes dals like Tour and Urad, which are fairly staple in many Indian homes, of which about 900,000 tons, or close to a quarter, of our requirement in India would be imported. The first part of the story is that prices in the domestic market have come down somewhat in anticipation, as I understand, of harvests. Now, this should hopefully reflect in lower inflation numbers for November, which will be out next month. The second part of the story today is to do with imports from Mozambique. Now, India signed an MOU with Mozambique to import around 200,000 tons of Turdal. Last year, by the way, we imported about 460,000 tons of Turdal from there. India also imports from Tanzania, Malawi and Myanmar, among other countries. So now, the problem this year is that there is an issue of either cornering by some exporters out of Mozambique and some alleged collusion with some government officials there. 
because of which a large part of the cargo is yet to be shipped or has not been shipped to India. Since only around 150,000 tons of tur dal has come so far from Mozambique, much more obviously could be shipped if it could be. Now, this has upset Indian importers who have gone and complained to all the powers that be in Delhi, including, of course, the Prime Minister's office, who, while I'm not privy to details, is presumably charged up to do something since food prices is something that this government has been responding with considerable alacrity, including at a diplomatic level. To get a sense on what the domestic landscape for tur dal and pulses was looking like right now and how the imports imbroglio was affecting prices, I reached out to Bimal Kothari, chairman of the Indian Pulses and Grains Association, and asked him first to give us a sense on the domestic market before moving on to the Mozambique imbroglio. For the last 15 days, we have seen the domestic prices are softening. Price of all the pulses across board have started coming down. Tour prices are already softened by 5 to 8 rupees a kilo. I mean, in fact, the domestic tour, which was selling very high, has come down almost by 10 rupees a kg. Then imported tour, which is now coming from Africa, that is also down by 4 to 5 rupees a kg. So all the prices from the upper level has come down. And if you compare today's price with the price, what we were in August and September, I think if you take the African tour, because we get the African tour from Mozambique, from Tanzania, from Malawi, the price has gone from 95 rupees to now over 87, 88 rupees. Price is down by almost 7, 8, 9%. Wooden prices, even after our harvest, the prices went up quite significantly. But now, price of wooden has also started coming down. Almost it is down by 7 to 8 rupees per kg in the last 15 days' time. And also, if you look at the price of other pulses, like lentils is selling around minimum support price, which is 60 rupees. Then Chana is around 60, 62, 63 rupees. So more or less other pulses except Tuvar and Urad. Of course, which I still say, though the prices are coming down, but I still say that the price are still much the minimum price. But now, as we are going to harvest the crop for two, I think the price will further come down in the coming months. So what's bringing the prices down right now? We expect the crop also be down this year. I think we'll be sold by about 1 million or 1.2 million tons as per the government estimate because the government has given the last advanced estimate was about 33 lakh tons, which is 3.3 million tons as per the last advanced estimate issued by the government, which is the projection for the coming crop. So India requires about 4.5 to 4.6 million tons, which is about 45 to 46 lakh tons. So it will be again down by 12 to 13 lakh tons for the next year. So there is definitely going to the pressure, but in the near future, since we are going to harvest the crop, so the availability will be there from the domestic crop we will get about 400,000 tons from Myanmar. So thus, the availability of tour would be there from both the domestic market as well as from Myanmar. What we have seen historically, particularly these months like December and January, the demand of pulses is very slack because we have the fresh vegetables and these fresh vegetables are available at very affordable and very reasonable prices for even for the common people. So I think that also, you know, because then, then the demand comes down. So then supply is also there because of the harvest of the crop. So I think that also brings down the, you know, prices. Let me come to the import part of it. Now, the government of India had signed MOUs with Mozambique, Tanzania, Malawi to basically create a supply chain of sorts for imports of Turdal, which is a key pulses item. And we are having a specific problem with Mozambique. Can you tell us what the problem is and will that affect the way our supply or our imports? You see, all these countries, Mozambique, Malawi and Tanzania, they harvest the crop sometime in the July. And, you know, their export is July, August. Their export starts by end of 
between after 15th August, they start exporting these pulses, uh, two in particular, from uh, Tanzania or even from Mozambique and also from Malawi to India. Of course, we have been getting two from regularly from Tanzania and Malawi. There has not been any issue, even from Kenya also. But Kenya is a very small exporter. Mozambique has been a significant exporter in the last few years, we have seen, because we have signed MOU, we have supported the government of Mozambique. We are supporting the farmers. Government of India had signed a MOU for, for five years, which has been further extended by another five years. So we have been supporting the government of Mozambique and their farmers to grow more to earth. But what we have just observed in the last two, three months, some of the Mozambique government officials, corrupt officials, I'll say, let me make it very blunt. Some corrupt officials, they are favoring one particular exporter and they are hand in glove with this particular exporter and they are not allowing the export of Tuvan to be done by the other exporters. So they are all, those people are holding about 150,000 to 200,000 tons. We normally import about 450,000 tons of Tuvan in last, we have seen last one or two years. We have been importing about 400,000 tons. Last year, our import was about 460,000 tons from Mozambique. When I'm saying the last year is its financial year I'm talking. So 460,000, but this year, since they knew that we have a scarcity of tour, we need tour badly. So this one private exporter, along with the Mozambique government official, they hand in glove with them. They conspired. They are not allowing the export to be taken by the other exporters who are holding the cargo. And that's how, you know, he's controlling the prices. He's trying to corner the, all the product from the market and trying to export himself with the help of the government officials of Mozambique. So we have brought this issue to the notice of Consumer Affairs Ministry, we have brought this to the notice of Prime Minister's office also. They have taken the cognizance of our this issue and they have taken up the matter with the Mozambique government. That is what we understand. And also, we understand they have taken up the matter with Mozambique High Commission. From our association, we have returned to Mozambique High Commission. This has been going for the last two months. We have told the government of India if they do not bring the situation to the normalcy, then I think government of India should look into evoking the MOU what we have signed with the uh, government of Mozambique. I hope that vices prevail over the Mozambique government and, you know, they look into the situation and solve the issue. Right now, are you facing any shortages in imports, including from Mozambique? Yes, definitely. We have not received the quantity what we have received so far. We should have because this year prices have been ruling very high. Prices have been about $1,000 per ton. At this price, I think whatever has been available, there should have come to the Indian market by this time. But as I said, somebody is trying to corner the product. Of course, I think we have seen about 150,000 tons Tour has come from Mozambique, but it's still a large quantity, is still available. The rest of it comes, which is, let's say, another 200,000 tons. Uh, then that could obviously bring down prices further or at least stabilize prices further. We are going to harvest our crops. So prices will any this often. Now we are not totally dependent on Mozambique because from January, we'll have the import from Myanmar, which is about 400,000 tons. Then, of course, we have our crop at even 3.3 million, which is a substantial quantity. So that will definitely take care of a few months. But after a few months, uh, again in May, June, we may feel this kind of you know pressure on the prices. Right, Bivan, thank you so much for joining me. Regulation for deep fakes is coming. It's interesting that the discussion on deep fakes has accelerated just at the time when a battle royale come drama over the leadership of OpenAI, the company that owns ChatGPT, has just ended with Sam Altman returning as CEO to a company he was sacked from just five days before that. Be that as it may, deepfakes, which is obviously a subset of artificial intelligence or the recent developments we've seen there, is the one area where no government or rather most governments are moving fast and India is not far behind. 
The government has said it will, in 10 days, issue draft rules to tackle deepfake videos and images, Information Technology Minister Ashwini Vaishnav said on Thursday, proposing to tackle the menace with penalties on creators and platforms, reported the Business Standard. We will start drafting regulation today itself, and within a short time, we will have a new set of regulations, which could be in the form of amending existing framework or bringing new rules or new law, he said at a media briefing in Delhi. He also said that the immediate four pillars of focus would be detecting deepfakes and misinformation, preventing their spread, strengthening reporting mechanisms, and creating awareness. In the past few weeks, deepfake videos have emerged on social media of celebrities and politicians, including one involving Telugu actor Rashmika Mandana, which set off a firestorm of sorts. To understand what the legal scope could be for these deepfake regulations and how they could be implemented, I reached out to Apar Gupta, advocate on technology law and columnist in Indian Express, and I began by asking him what the likely composition of these new guidelines could be. It's important for us to consider what already is within law right now, and primarily what's contained is a censorship power for takedowns on deepfake videos. So what that means is that if a deepfake video of you or me is posted on a social media platform, we can write to the social media company to take it down. The second form of remedy is a criminal complaint to a local police station for provisions under the Information Technology Act. But as per me, they are not really directly applicable because they need to also result in a kind of financial loss or reputational loss. And quite often in cyber crimes, the experience in terms of enforcement has been disappointing in which police quite often says that Right to the social media company, why are you coming to us? We are already very burdened with day-to-day cases like, you know, actual murder, theft, bodily injury kind of cases. So Govind, the vacuum which needs to be filled in is fairly large. It's a large, large portion because if you have to look at it from the perspective that deepfake technologies itself do not need to be bad because they do have beneficial purposes. But the surface area of the harm that they can cause Quite often, given that it's much more easily accessible, the quality of this kind of synthetic media is increasing day by day and more people are likely to use it, needs essentially a transparency, certification, display requirement in different contexts. Mostly what is required is an end-to-end cycle in which deepfake from the very point of production is regulated to the form that people know that it is a deepfake technology and if it's done of a real living human being, they are able to exercise control over. So just to come to the law specifically, because we will have some guidelines because the IT minister has already said that they will be. Now, there's a section 66D of the IT Act. There's the Consumer Protection Act. Then there's, of course, the ability to just go to the police station and file an FIR. So what in your mind would be this end-to-end approach? So if you look at the presidential order, which has been issued on AI in the United States, right? It's talking about firstly display of labeling requirements for the government when it itself uses synthetic media, any kind. So it may be a deepfake audio or deepfake video. I think similar things need to be done, you know, across a whole range of function, which for instance, may not only be an instance of the Mandana video, which has given rise to so much moral panic, but it will also be things such as electoral regulations, okay, to make sure that when parties are themselves using deepfake technology, as has been done by some parties, for instance, to make one recording sound out in about 20 languages and dialects to make sure they can micro-target voters, the voters need to know it's synthetic media, right? So that kind of disclosure, which is required, needs to be done at a much more system-wide level, because the 
remedy to most things here should not be the absolute blunt hammer of criminal law, right? It can apply in some circumstances. For instance, if there is a explicit or a obscene video which is made of a person without their consent, but that is not the case with all types of application of deep pick technology. So where will it land then? I mean, whether it's a hammer or a slap on the wrist between the platforms, the distributors, the creators of content. So I think, Govind, it's a wider whole of society issue. Here is the topic of very vibrant discussions. I think what's needed today is not only law, but policy, curriculum, educational development, which needs to be handled by, let's say, a permanent seated advisory body to different arms of the Indian government. So, for instance, if you need to build curriculum for people, so there's greater media literacy, etc., etc. And I think this will also take forms of new legislation, but shouldn't be limited to deepfake technologies. For instance, if you look at the European Union, which has been actively consulting internally, externally with experts on crafting what it calls as the AI Act. It approaches AI from the perspective that it's a bundle of technologies. Of course, it can be these kind of generative AI technologies like deepfakes, but it can also be a simple AI assistant like ChatGPT 3.5, right? Which just gives you a text input to a text output. And there, what will be necessary are more towards labeling requirements where the individual user gets to know that output they're getting whenever they ask a question to a large language model may not be accurate. And they need to further research themselves, right? That kind of approach is a risk-based, harms-based approach that what can potentially go wrong. And of course, that harm will be much, much, much more greater. For instance, if AI-based imaging technologies are used for health diagnosis, right? So there needs to be a broad spectrum approach which needs to be taken in, both from an advisory, multidisciplinary perspective. And I know these are very big words. It sounds complex, but there's so many issues and they need to be studied in individual silos of application to India. Right. But we are going to see some sort of draft come out in literally two weeks time. So what could that have? And perhaps what should it not have in your understanding at this point? So I don't know, Govind, because the uh, stakeholders who have been invited for a conversation with the minister uh, right now, Mr. Ashwani Vaishnav, are only media companies. It doesn't happen to be experts, academics, policy professionals, etc., also, there's no approach paper to this consultation. Usually, government does want to at least debate on the principles of regulation it wants to adopt. And also, it seems it's only limited to deepfakes, which according to me is very, very topical and problematic. Another thing I'd just like to sound out is that, you know, it also collapses into pre-existing conversations around what has been called as the Digital India Act, which is not a law. It's actually a proposal, but it's still called the Digital India Act. And way back, even one and a half years ago, the Minister for State, Rajiv Chandrasekhar, said that deep fakes will be regulated under this act. So it's to the ministry, actually, to clarify at this point in time that what will be its approach. Because when the Pandana incident also happened, Mr. Chandrasekhar said that when asked to write to platforms to take it down, or you can file a criminal complaint, our laws are enough. So I don't know what's caused this anything, but more recently. Right. So we will look out for that and we will, of course, speak again. Thank you so much, Apar. Thank you so much for having me, Goan. And record viewership for cricket. 
Walt Disney said on Thursday that its television channels in India and digital streaming platforms both set new viewership records quite expectedly in the recently concluded Men's World Cup cricket. A record 518 million viewers from India watched matches during the 48-day event on TV, while Disney's streaming app recorded a peak concurrent viewership of about 59 million people during the finals. This is across all matches. This time you could have watched the World Cup cricket free on smartphones via the Hotstar app. By the way, Jio Cinema also has made cricket free to watch on phones. India hosted the 13th edition of the World Cup cricket series and it ran from October 5th to November 19th and it lost the finals played in Ahmedabad. The International Cricket Council also said that a record 1.25 million people attended matches from stands during the World Cup. On that note it's a bye for now and have a happy weekend ahead and there is of course much more cricket coming up in coming days including the shorter snappier T20 stay tuned This was the core report with me Govindraj Ethiraj do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core you can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in that is www.thecore.in or follow us on linkedin twitter and facebook as well now we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you including our reporting on india's vibrant manufacturing sector write to us at feedback@thecore.in at thank you for listening